As we begin this session, I want to remind you again of the primary purpose, the central theme of 1 Peter. Remember, these first century saints are experiencing incredible pain, persecution, suffering for the cause of Christ. And Peter writes to offer these precious believers hope in the midst of suffering by reminding them of the one who suffered for them and all that his suffering has made available to them, namely heaven, a salvation here and heaven here. After. And I wanted to remind you of this principal purpose because Peter once again returns to the painful discussion of suffering and God's purpose behind it. You mean suffering has a purpose? Absolutely. Whether this suffering is accidental or intentional, all suffering has a purpose behind it. And God's purpose behind our suffering is always the same. So let's dive into our study. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, 13, and 14. The beloved apostle writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange things were happened to you, happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Notice Peter does not address the issue of trials as a distant, aloof professor giving an analytical treatise of the, subject, of the subject of trials. He, he doesn't come across as if he's giving some theological discourse. Notice the tenderness. Notice the compassion in his words. We see it beginning in verse 12. Beloved, my dear ones. The word is actually a derivation of the word agape, the Greek word for a selfless, sacrificial, all-consuming, kind of love. And you can almost hear the crack in his voice and the quiver in his throat as Peter aches deeply for what these saints are going through. I know it hurts. I know it stinks. I know you do not deserve it. Beloved, he speaks as one who is sympathizing with them, has compassion on them for what they are going through. But here's the principle. When we take a stand for the Savior, when we surrender to the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, the world is going to mock us and Satan is going to do everything he can, any and every way, to destroy us. That is a reality. You see, when, when you are lost, when I am lost, separated from God, we are walking side by side with Satan, the deceiver of the brethren. And the world rejoices in that because they are moving in the same direction. But when we surrender our lives to the leadership and lordship of Jesus Christ, when we link ourselves to the Father because of what Jesus the Son has done for us, we instantly become an enemy 
of Satan and the world order. We are walking in opposition to one another. And conflict is inevitable. In fact, Jesus himself said in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. James was far more confrontational when he declared, you adulteresses, nothing empathetic or compassionate about that. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, here's my point. When we stand up for the name of Christ, even though we are doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons, for the purpose of honoring God and demonstrating Christ in our character and our conduct, the world is going to stand in opposition to us. Not only is the world going to stand in opposition to us, the world is going to stand in hostile opposition to us. And that is why Peter says to these precious saints, do not be surprised. We should never go looking for a fight, but we should not be at all surprised when a fight comes looking for us. So 1 Peter 4, 12, beloved, do not be surprised. And then we want to hone in on these next few phrases at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Four truths about testing that I want to remind you of. I'm sure you know them, but it's always good to be reminded. Truth number one, testing will come. Nothing profound about that. If you're seeking to honor the Lord and your character and your conduct, if you are walking in opposition to the world's order, testing will come. Truth number two, testing will hurt. It is not easy. It is not pleasant. It is not convenient. Truth number two, testing will hurt. Truth number three, sometimes testing will really hurt. It will be painful. But truth number four, testing always has a positive purpose. Now, if you are seeking to walk with Christ and your character and conduct, you need to understand the reality of those four truths. Testing will come. Testing will hurt. Sometimes testing will really hurt. But God always has a positive purpose behind it. Now, I referenced James a moment ago. Now, I want to return to his letter to help us understand what Peter is talking about when he refers to fiery ordeals and testing. We find it in James chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. The, the Greek word for trials, for testing, and for temptation is the same root word, pyrosmois. It is where we get our English equivalent, pyromania, pyromaniac, pyrotechnics. That's why you see that phrase, fiery. But James writes in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. That is the root uh, word, pyrosmon, 
For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, another uh, derivation of that word pyros mois. I am being pyros mois, tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted, again, that same word by evil, and he himself does not tempt, same word again, anyone. But each one is tempted, pyros mois, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. You hear the word over and over and over again in that little snippet from James. Sometimes it's translated testing, and sometimes it's translated tempting. Well, what is the difference? Testing always comes from the divine. Temptation always comes from the devil. Testing is meant to help us. Temptation is meant to harm us. Testing comes to build us up. Temptation comes to tear us down. Testing, testing is cause to help us stand. Temptation is cause to make us stumble. Testing is meant to strengthen us. Temptation is meant to weaken us. But how do we know the difference? And sometimes we may not know until we get to the backside of that test or that temptation. But God can use every temptation as a test or a trial to strengthen us. I, I think of, of precious Joseph in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Many of you are familiar with the story. Joseph betrayed by his brothers, sent into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of rape, thrown into prison, forgotten by the cupbearer who is released from that prison. Pharaoh has a dream. Joseph is called to interpret the dream. Joseph predicts famine. That famine comes. Pharaoh is so impressed, Joseph rises to a position of prominence in the court. The famine occurs. His brothers who had sold him into slavery come to Egypt looking for food. And after a series of events, the family is restored. What does it have to do with our session on suffering and temptation? Well, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, we find these marvelous words. It shows the proper attitude behind suffering, behind testing, and behind temptation. But Joseph said to them, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said to them, do not be afraid, for I am in God's place. As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. What a great attitude toward the testing and the trials of life. But back to 1 Peter chapter 4. So God never tempts us, but God does test us to prove the purity and the authenticity of our faith. And even what comes from the enemy may be used by the Father to make us less of what we are and more of what God wants us to be. Think about the dross 
and the fire burning away the dross in, in gold until it becomes pure because all the impurities have risen to the surface and been removed. That's the concept. Well, let's move on to verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. While our testing is an opportunity for growth and maturity, Peter reminds us it is also a cause for celebration. Look at that verse again. But to the degree that you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. You hear? It's cause for growth, but testing is also cause for celebration. But I want us to lock in for just a moment on that phrase, share the sufferings of Christ. Now that phrase does not imply in any way that our suffering, your suffering, my suffering, carry any redemptive value at all. We are saved by grace through faith unto good works. Our salvation is totally and completely the grace of God as demonstrated through Jesus Christ on the cross. But to the degree that we share the sufferings of Christ, that is that we suffer for doing the right things in the right ways for the right reasons, it allows us to identify with Jesus Christ who did the right thing in the right way for the right reason. And so we share that suffering, that shared purpose behind our persecution or behind our suffering. And then in verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. To suffer for the name of Christ is not a badge of shame. It is in reality a badge of glory. In fact, Peter here tells us that suffering for the name of Christ is evidence that the Spirit of God really dwells upon us. So suffering does not mean we are doing something wrong. In this case, it means we are doing something right. And God delights in us when we stand for Him. Besides, the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. As Paul encouraged the Corinthians, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comprehension. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. And that is how we can trace the rainbow of God's grace through the rain of our earthly suffering. Every moment of every day, amid the storms of life, amid the suffering of this life, God is working in us and through us to make us less of what we are and more of what he wants us to be. So that when we stand before him, we reflect in every way the image and the character of Christ. 
I have shared with you in, in a previous session the words of an old contemporary song by the Christian artist Wayne Watson. One day Jesus will call my name. As days go by, I hope I don't stay the same. I want to get so close to him that it's no big change on that day when Jesus calls my name. Well, as we suffer for the cause of Christ, as we suffer in the name of Christ, that is making us less of what we are and more of what Christ is. That is the purpose behind our suffering. See you next session. Once again, let me thank you for joining us on this journey through God's Word. We know your time is precious, and so we consider it an incredible privilege that you've chosen to spend it with us. As I have shared before, we'd love to hear from you. Knowing how we have encouraged you encourages us Recently, I had an individual say, I sit in front of my computer with my Bible, with my notebook, with my pen, ready to learn from God's Word. If you're watching uh, on YouTube, you can leave a comments note at the bottom. We'd love to see those. Or you can reach us. Our email address is wordpowermm at gmx.com. Wordpowermm at gmx.com. If watching this ministry and learning from God's Word has encouraged you, please tell others about us, whether they watch us on YouTube, find us on Instagram, or on podcast. We'd love to know that we are being used by God to help people go deeper in their faith. God bless you, and again, thank you.